VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. Thank you. It says here. <laughs> uh, no, um, can we just start first of all with a complaint? But don't worry, it's for me. Uh, it's from Patricia. She's just about, she's had a belly full, has Patricia Fields. Oh, no. Just listen to Fee and I. What? You and Jane M were only discussing this atrocious grammatical error the other day. The kind professor has pointed it out. It drives me crazy. Please her- learn how to use I and me correctly, or I might have to stop listening. From Patricia. Well, Pat, if I can call you Pat, I'm going to make a concerted effort to never get that wrong again. Because I know, I, Pat, you're oh, not I alone. Do, I, I do get it wrong. Yep, I, I, it, it infuriates it, people. Do you think it, it might just be that we're saying something that sounds more natural to us? It may not be correct, sorry, in speech, right, but it may just feel more natural. And so in the end, it will become correct. Because <gasps> I'm only suggesting. Oh my word! Yeah, what like sorry. a kind of democratic revolution? Yeah, that kind of, of thing. Punctuation and grammar. It yeah. does happen, doesn't it? It evolves. Well, I think the. Um, you're right there, Eve. Drop the mouse. Um, I think the semicolon mm. has uh, has been lost to a whole generation through lack of use, and I don't think it's ever coming back. I think you might and be sometimes right. I've tried to explain to um, the offspring. Mm what a semicolon and a colon is for, and I find that I don't really know anymore. I'm not sure I ever knew what a semicolon no. was for, although I enjoy occasionally employing them without ever really understanding their true worth. Yep. I a do. colon is is when you're about to kind of list things, isn't it? Yeah. And what what, what would you say a semicolon's for? Uh, a natural break in a thought. Oh, <gasps> okay. Natural break in a... Or a... Thought. Yeah. Natural. Well, maybe, maybe Pat not. can send us a, another email and use some semicolons, and then we'll understand that better. But yeah, I, I do the thing and I thing all the time, so I apologise for that too. It's not just you. Did you have a nice week? Yes. Right. Okay. <laughs> no, I had um, Jay Mulcairns was here, and we had actually we had a really interesting. It started off on Monday when. Um, Jane read out an email from a listener who, and I, I'm not trying to, uh, well, I, I will try to paraphrase, but I don't want to get this uh, correspondence thoughts wrong. But it, the gist of it was at 42, she'd started dating women and had never looked back. And that led to some really interesting thoughts from other people about their own sort of just wondering whether their sexuality was set in stone, whether they might want to try something different. And then we had some really interesting responses from lesbians in particular saying, don't don't enter our world as tourists, knowing that you can go back. Yes, it's not a day trip. No, exactly. So, no, it was um, so it was really, really interesting. And we're, we're still getting emails on that subject. And, um, you know, I think I think it's such a fascinating area. I really do, because everybody has a view. And um, and also there's this idea as well that you have that moral, not moral imperative, the uh, reproductive imperative. So if you are female, you might just want to get pregnant. And there's really, obviously there are other ways to do it now, but on the whole, it's easier just to have sex with a male of the species and Fanny's your aunt, Bob's your uncle, if you're lucky. So you can do it that way. But it may not actually be once your reproductive days are over that that is where your your true intentions lie. That's a theory, for yes. what it's worth. 
I don't know. So, uh, so strike this from the record if you've had exactly this conversation and this question was asked of you by the lovely Mulcairins. Mm-hmm. But I suppose that it doesn't only really matter if you look back on your life and think if times had been different, then I would have been able to act on something that I felt. Isn't that... Yeah, well, the idea now is that everybody... Because then it's not true, because it might be true in Britain, it might be true in middle-class Britain, parts of it, but not everyone in Britain is completely free to explore their sexuality. And there are plenty, millions of people all over the world who couldn't hope to do it. So it's uh, it's a very, very... It's a big area, this. Massive. It's a huge yeah. area. Oh, but I'm it, sorry to have missed that No, planet. no, it was... Well, you, you could always listen. You can get the podcast <laughs> off-air on all good podcast platforms. No, it was a really... It was some really thoughtful, thoughtful emails last week. And I'm sure there will be this week. We are doing... Because it's Halloween on... Um, when is it? Wednesday tomorrow. night. Oh, tomorrow. Is it yes, tomorrow? tomorrow okay. Tuesday. So I was, I was saying to Fee earlier that my student daughter, who's at uni in a city in the um, northeast of the, of the country, um, there are bouncers on the door of the Halloween shop because Halloween is now substantially bigger than Christmas. It is. Um, it's just weird, isn't it? Have you seen the image that's being widely shared of a pumpkin that had been put above a doorway and then overnight, and it is a brilliant image, the pumpkin has slightly collapsed and so it looks like its chin is just kind of lying across. It's a brilliant, brilliant image. It's got, it it's got a face and it just looks like it's, oh, I'm tired already and it's not even Halloween yet. It's very good. Well, there's a thing on uh, the top tick uh, yeah. about smashing pumpkins this year. Oh, yeah. So you either carve a beautiful pumpkin mm. and you're putting that up or you're smashing a beautifully carved pumpkin and uh, obviously the younger generation don't make the connection to the smashing pumpkin the band to be honest i'm too old to make the connection to the smashing (laughs) pumpkins i do remember couldn't name a song by so i think that's where it all started but of course when i said to my offspring well that's about the smashing pumpkins they had the same look that you've just had Mm. so not everything uh, is really conveyed very well by tiktok and i may be the first person on the planet to say that what an observation i know catherine uh says and is this to do this is the terrible thing about coming back from holiday when you haven't listened to your own product for a week Uh, but have you been talking about long bosoms yes okay do you want another one about long bosoms? I, yeah, I like this one. <laughs> Catherine says, uh, long time listener, first time emailer. My daughter, who was five at the time, decided to come into the bathroom and watch me have a shower. While she was sat on the toilet, lid down, she commented, Oh, mummy, look at your boo-boos. Aren't they long? Uh, very depressing, but probably quite true. Uh, so <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where to go from there. A bit more on sexual fluidity from Catherine, who says, um, I had to get in touch, read your recent conversations. On Mother's Day earlier this year, I was talking to some of my mum friends who, having all organised our own Mother's Day celebrations and presents, having pragmatically realised that if we didn't do it ourselves, our husbands probably wouldn't, and then we'd be annoyed and the day would be ruined, so actually it would be better if we just got on and did it, we discussed how lovely it would be to live in a women's commune with loads of other caring women who'd all be invested in making stuff like that happen for each other but knowing deep down that we prefer men and that's absolutely fine Catherine that's that's an option and I think quite often um, heterosexuality is about appreciating the difference that's why some people go for it not everybody but some people go for it precisely because men are not the same as women for all their faults sometimes you can't help loving them is that a country and western song (laughs) anyway Catherine's from New Zealand Perhaps things are different there. She says, um, I first heard about you two from Pandora and Dolly's podcast. And that's the Hilo, which Pandora Sykes did with Dolly Alderton. And this is my cat-handed and very convoluted way of saying that Dolly Alderton's going to be with us next week, isn't she? Yes. So we're interviewing her this week, but we're going to put the interview out next week because she's got a new book out. She's got a new novel called And interestingly, harking back to exactly your last thought. It's all produced this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she has written her latest novel from a male perspective. Well, she has. It's about a comedian who splits up with his girlfriend after four years together. And the first, I think, three quarters of the book, I've just finished it, is from his perspective. And then we get her view of their relationship right at the end. So it's going to be uh, maybe a slightly frustrating conversation where three women try and imagine whether or not she's really nailed the male perspective. But I would argue that there have been many, many discussion programmes between three men where they've talked about 
uh, exactly the female equivalent. Well, do you know what I was thinking about the other day? Remember when old Kevin Keegan came out with this, I don't like ladies commentating on football? Yes. Uh, and I've got a lot of time for Kevin Keegan. Um, he had a hit song, played for Liverpool, you know, all good things. He's got hair like yours. Very. Well, very, when it was perm. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you very much. Oh, that's a compliment, and I think it is. That's a compliment, and I'm going to take it. Um, but then, you know, why? I, I was thinking only in the middle of the night the other night, I don't know why I was thrashing about, if men can be bloody obstetricians, why can't women commentate on football? Is that really what you thrash about yes, thinking about in the absolutely. middle of the night? Let's have a slightly sinister story for Halloween from Nikki. In 1990, my friend and I were driving an old Datsun around New Zealand. That's terrifying in itself, isn't it? We're back in New Zealand. He's looking not all that frightened so far. We stopped off at the island's oldest church and went our separate ways to explore it and its churchyard. We met at the door and I asked her if she'd heard the singing. If she'd heard the singing, because I couldn't see anybody. She'd heard the singing separately too. We didn't really discuss it. We didn't know what to say. Right, we got back in the Datsun and drove away a bit faster than we'd arrived. Oh, that was ghost singing. Nothing to worry about. Have you seen a ghost? No. Okay. Another one here from Anne. My mum has. Has your mum seen a ghost? Yes, she has. <laughs> this, uh, I mentioned your experience in Bromley, but that wasn't a ghost exactly, was it? That was just you, let me get this right, you, when you went to Bromley, realising you'd been to Bromley before. Yes. <laughs> Which is terrifying on all sorts of levels. But um, I know there's quite a lot of, you know, the years between 1990 and 1996. Yeah, when you don't entirely remember. I immediately place myself anywhere. When you were in that cat suit. So um, when did your mum, when did she see a ghost? (laughs) Come on, try it once more with interest. Did your mum ever see a ghost? So mum wouldn't describe herself as a kind of believer in those type of things at all. She's a very practical woman. But we lived in this uh, quite old house uh, in Hampshire. Don't start. And our dog... Um, at the time used to go absolutely wild sometimes in the middle of the night and he'd sit at the bottom of the staircase and howl, Mm -hmm. like probably howl with fear. And my mum, who loves her history, did quite a lot of of kind of digging around about the people who'd lived in the house before and how old the house went back to and stuff. And there had been a priest hole to the left-hand side of the fireplace. Yes. And you know what happened to an awful lot of priests in priest holes. They they didn't make it out in time. Did they starve? No, I mean, they just couldn't come out because, you know, the police force of the church, whichever church it was at the time, either Catholic or Protestant, was rampaging around. Um, and it's quite possible that a priest had died in that priest hole. And the way that the house was configured, the staircase had been built later and the dog was howling at the back of where the priest hole was. And my mum used to stay up at night and I always admired her for this, Jane, because we were living on our own. So mm. she was the only adult in the house. It was a little bit rural. And she used to stay up because she really wanted to meet the spirit or the ghost or whatever who was there and she did feel quite a presence one night isn't that spooky and she's just not no no not she's not woo woo I don't think she's got any any purple clothes being deliberately offensive here please email in um but I always thought that that was quite telling actually um I I I would say I could never I I would not mock anyone who said they'd felt a presence I I genuinely mean that I I just wouldn't do it because uh who knows what lies between here and there. Yeah, and also because you just want... you, you if, if that is to happen, then don't you want someone to be able to recognise your presence? You'd be very upset if you come back and haunt the News UK radio studios and everybody's like, no, I don't feel a thing. You'd be really upset. I suppose I would. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, you've got me dead and I'm already a ghost. <laughs> Anne says... I live in an old cottage dating from Tudor times. I've never seen a whole ghost. But since living here, I regularly catch a glimpse of the back of somebody coming past the front windows, heading towards the front door. It's so real, I've often gone to the door and there isn't anybody there. I'm not sure why, but as I get older, I'm now 78 and a half, this seems to be happening more often. However, I've never felt scared. I'm just curious. No, I think that's the right way to be, Anne. Don't be scared, because um, whatever that is, it cannot do you any harm, nor would it seek to. Mm. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just going about its business. Can we just return to bosoms for a second? Well, we can. If because, you must, yes. <laughs> well, uh, one of my half-term chores uh, was to sort out the underwear drawer, and it was very, 
was very pleasing, actually. It was a very satisfying activity. Do you recycle your old underwear? I do. I've sent them all off to um, to the local Oxfam shop, all very nicely washed and wrapped up. Um, why is there a double A and a double D bra, but there aren't double Bs and double Cs? Why do some letters Gosh. have doubles and others don't? I can reveal there are also double Gs. Are there? Mm. Okay. But That's, I think there's just... I think there a, might be double Hs. I think there's just an F, there's just an E. That's okay. That for that's a question I can't answer. Well, I thought you'd know. Well, you know. Because you've been on the hour of woman for seven hundred and forty years. <laughs> yes, and I went um I went for a bra fitting. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I and mean, you're practically an expert. I made a feature about it. And actually do you know what it was really sad because I had a brilliant woman who fitted me for a bra at Selfridges and she said she it was obviously her job, that's what she did. She wasn't just a keen amateur. Who volunteered to measure my bosoms for the radio? Yeah, she actually did it for a That's living. a job that I really hope men no. never do. No, they won't. Uh, no, they definitely won't. But anyway, she said that the first thing that every woman says when they enter that bra fitting environment is sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, and isn't that really telling, and a bit tragic? Yeah. What What do you think we should? Well, just turn it to. Just don't. Don't feel the need to apologise for just standing there. Because just in case anyone listening has never been for one of these things, or they may not have bosoms, um, when you go for a bra fitting, and I appreciate most women don't go for a bra fitting, you you just sort of stand there topless, don't you, while they assess you? On the whole, well, that's what they used to do. I think maybe, is it post-Covid, has it changed? I don't know. It's been a very long time since I've been assessed. But I think some shops just do proper fittings where you Mm. don't actually stand there naked. You just get measured. And there's that, that, you know, that difference between... Uh, the measurement around your rib cage and your actual bust is your cup size. Do you know, I didn't know that till I was about 32. No. It's a secret world. It is. Uh, and um, as you say, let's keep the fellas out of that world. Yes. For the time being. But we do need an answer to your very interesting question about letters. Thank you, darling. Uh, this is from um, Liv and Polly by proxy. Okay. Um, just writing with a potentially otherworldly experience. My triplet sister and I, just the two of us, number three wasn't available, were staying in a... Oh, Lord, I already feel quite scared. We're staying in a very old coaching inn in County Wicklow. We hadn't been talking about anything even remotely related to ghosts. We'd been for a long hike in the Wicklow Hills. We were very tired. We were sharing a room with twin beds. I woke up in the middle of the night and immediately I knew there was a ghost behind me. I don't believe in them, but nevertheless I was very sure. There was the ghost of a malevolent old man standing behind me. My skin was crawling with fear. I was facing my sister's bed, and I did think about waking her up, but then I thought that would would be mean, as then we'd both be scared, so I just huddled down with my eyes very tightly shut and said lots of prayers. I don't believe in God, but all Catholic habits die hard. Then I felt the ghost pass over me. It was like a cold breeze, but one that was full of millions of minuscule shards of ice that I could feel pricking my skin. I was petrified. I said prayers under the covers until I fell asleep. Gosh. Has anyone seen a ghost from about 1982? What, you mean, like, dressed as somebody from Spandau Ballet? <laughs> yes. Some ghost, has anyone seen a ghost who just looks a bit like Pat Sharp? <laughs> right. Um, somebody somewhere will have done. Uh, because it is just true, isn't You're it? You're right. They do seem they're like always from the 17th, 18th century. Well, that's because they're restless <laughs> they've been restless for a very 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 long time we're talking to the historian philippa gregory later in the week aren't well we? let's ask her we've got mm. some cracking guests lined up actually i'm very excited right do you think it's time to go into our main guest um is this in any way connected to the spirit world <laughs> i don't think so so alive and kicking it's claire balding so claire was in today to talk about her latest book which is called isle of dogs and it does what it says on the tin, really. It's uh, an exploration and a bit of a journey around the UK, meeting all kinds of dog owners and people who do different things with dogs. So I found it a really fascinating book. I I kind of thought, oh, yes, I'm a dog owner. I've had a dog for years. I know lots of things about mm. dogs. But there's some really cracking chapters just about uh, the people who are using dogs for medicine. So dogs, you know, who can sniff out diseases and dogs who are helpful. So working with kids who are on the autistic spectrum Mm. or older people with dementia. It's a really interesting book. And obviously one of the reasons why uh, you and I are very happy to have Claire on the programme is because we're both mentioned in the book. Well, that was one of the reasons. Can I just say something about St Bernard dogs? Yes. It's only really quite recently 
that I realised that they didn't actually, you know, put bandages on people. <laughs> Sorry, I needed so rude words. For <laughs> heaven's sake, Jane, what did you think they did? Did you I, think they poured out the brandy? I think <laughs> they got their little paws and unscrewed the we barrel used, you from can their see, neck. Like, an amazing image of them with the little thing around yes. their neck. And I suppose there was a part of me that thought they also dealt with minor sprains. <laughs> Well, how would they? I, well, they wouldn't, but there you go. I mean, it's just one of those things. Sometimes, you know, life lets you down. Reality intervenes, doesn't it? It's yeah. very sad. Uh, right. Did you know that one third of British households now has at least one dog? And That's, that means... That is a lot, isn't, isn't it? it? A lot. Yeah. That there are around 13 million dogs across our islands. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so when Claire came in, for a start, she brought us both a glass of wine. And no one's ever done that on the programme before. No, I mean, it, she hadn't paid three. for it, we need to make clear. Because <laughs> she'd been on the Times Wine Times podcast with Annika. She had, yep. Uh, and she pointed out that in the introduction, I'd missed out one very important dog. You've missed out the most important dog that is in this book. What? Which? Nancy. Nancy. Nancy the Greyhound. And Dora gets her mention, Jane. I know, and she, she's taken the news really calmly. Has she? Yeah, well, she hasn't actually attacked um, a visitor to the house now for getting on for three weeks. There we go. She's so, yeah. mellowing. I, it, it, like yeah. you, she's mellowing. Oh, well, I wouldn't get that for Dora is my tabby, I should say. Get on with the interview. Um, no, Fee. no. She, Fee's trying to interview you, Claire. No, but th- where did Dora come from? She came from, well, do I, the um, Rescue Centre Animal Sanctuary in Basingstoke. Yes. During lockdown. Why? Because you posed for a photograph with her for the cover of Hampshire Life. And I sent you a photo and said, you have to have this kitten. And she's I... really sweet. And then she's, you've changed her. <laughs> and now so she's vicious. Dora is so not sweet. So there was one terrible incident. I haven't been round to Jane's house very much. Six I'm, I'm only allowed. <laughs> They're kind of on day release once a decade. Uh, but I, I bent down to stroke Dora. <laughs> and... That was a mistake. Yes. And she just, she clasped all of her claws yeah. around my hand to the point at which I kind of had to throw her off, yes. you know, as if it was an Olympic sport. So I, I, both of you have a copy of this book, Fee, yes. because, of, because of Nancy being in it. Jane actually bought one. I actually paid her own money and bought it yes. at, at the book Not launch. Not cheap. No, um, no, because that was being sold at full price in an independent <laughs> bookshop. Oh, yes, sorry. Was, yes, indeed. <laughs> anyway, um, to, I guess I would think, just look at the index, see if she gets a mention, see that she does read that bit. And in the bit about <laughs> you both, I do make the point, which I stand, oh, unless they edited this out for fear of legal action, I basically make the point that, that Fee is a dog and Jane is a cat. No, that's still in there. Is it? Good. <laughs> and you'll be hearing from my people. <laughs> Uh, so yes, you very uh, you came to interview Nancy because she's a rescue greyhound, mm. and you've got a chapter about the uh, the joy of the rescue dog. And I have to say that um, for my children, because Nancy is very much a family pet, uh, even though I think she's just mine, uh, it has it has made their life that that they and a dog that they love uh, included in a book. It's just it's proved to be quite a kind of magical thing for them. Oh wow! So I just say an enormous thank you to Gosh. that. I mean, obviously, it doesn't matter. I'm on the radio every day, Claire, no. and doing numerous other things. The fact that the pet dog and a meal that we cooked for you and Alice is in a book, that seems to outshine absolutely everything. I think Brian and Barbara got to mention as well. And they did their My Kittens. Mm. Yep, yeah. Look, let's talk about lots of other things that are in the book, but well, thank you for mentioning for, our for part us, in it. I also ought to point out that um, I have come bearing gifts today. Uh, a, little, a little Chardonnay from um, Argentina because... Earlier today, I was doing the wine podcast. How much earlier, Claire? A couple of hours ago. <laughs> okay. I've, I've sobered up a lot. Um, no, I was doing the wine podcast. The, the, was it called The Wine Times, is it called? Yeah, wine yes. Time? yeah. with Will Lyons. Yes, yes, and Annika Rice. Yeah. So I've come from there and they said, would I like to take the rest of the of any of the bottles? And I said, yes, because I knew you would enjoy it. I knew Jane wouldn't because she needs fizz. Makes that very clear. And she's at a party that doesn't have any. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So, enough about your book launch. Right, carry on with the interview. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, So, look, let's talk about Isle of Dogs. Uh, So, the opening to the book um, is quite something, actually, Claire. Would you like me to just read you? Well, you... Just to remind you of it. Yes, do you. But but also, there's a a section that I can't read. And I went... When I went... When we were doing the audiobook, I, I had to go back and 
you know, because it's really sad and I was struggling with it a bit. This, don't, don't read that. OK, <laughs> OK. Well, I think I know what you're referring to and we mm. might come on to that a little bit later. Uh, but the book opens like this. I was so lucky to grow up surrounded by dogs. The very first being I truly connected with as a kindred spirit was not my mother, but her dog, Candy the Boxer. Candy was the one I looked to for reassurance and support and she was the one who helped me transition from crawling to walking by allowing me to grab her rolls of excess skin and haul myself to my feet. She was the one who comforted me if I was crying. She was my playmate and until my little brother was born, my one and only companion. Gosh. I mean, that's quite something, isn't it? The dog was the thing. Is it? Yes. See, to me, that's that's completely normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I probably thought she was my mother because that's the face I connected with. But mum, mum had a, um, you know, she she was. I think she agrees with that completely. And it's amazing how many uh, people come up to me and say, "Gosh, your childhood." I, I tell my children, you know, <laughs> read your the first book I wrote, which is called My Animals and Other Family, which kind of charts this rather feral childhood. And and lots of parents use it as a, you know, way of showing their children that that it's perfectly fine yeah. to be ignored. But for a time... Till you're you... 21 and then ignored a bit more. You... <laughs> you... Okay. Gosh, how long have we got today, Claire? <laughs> um, but you actually thought that you were a dog for a while in your childhood. I did, yeah. I thought it was a good thing to be. I think it's fine to be a dog, don't you? Yes, I've always... Well, I thought I was a cat. You oh. see, that's the weird thing. What I was kind very, of cat? very much a cat person. Uh, I don't think I was really very breed-specific about it. No, but I mean, personality-wise, what kind of cat? Oh, uh, you know, warm, cuddly, fluffy, not an in, Not like an exploring cat or an investigative cat or a cat that could leap from roof to roof, you know? Oh, I see what you mean. No, I think they're kind of curl up and, uh, you know, be heavily petted by a kind human kind uh -huh. of cat. And I think I just absolutely adored the symmetry of a cat's face. And actually, my mum said that I wouldn't go to sleep without a little postcard of a cat that my granny had sent me. And it was posted on my cot and I couldn't go to sleep unless oh, I was wow. looking at a cat. Isn't that weird? No, I think that's just lovely. Yeah. Anyway, look, there's... there's I'm this quite enjoying, going off in quite strange I'm direction. I'm quite enjoying Jane's face. Oh, so, like, that's I'm more than learning, you ever knew no, about her, I'm exactly. Learning see? a great deal about you both. Yeah. 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 So do you want to talk about Archie, or is that the bit oh, that's no, too the, painful? No, no, no. I, I just don't want to talk about the end of Archie's life. But no, the, the sort of purpose behind the book was give me giving myself an excuse to hang out with other people's dogs. So off we go around the country. I drag Alice with me for some of it. And... Um, it, and actually, she writes the last chapter um, to give her point of view because I've, you know, sort of... I've mocked her throughout um, for her excessive negativity, <laughs> so she has to put her point of view. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to sort of see where we are with dogs in, in the country right now, the sort of things they do for us. And it is extraordinary. I mean, you, you come across dogs that do all sorts, and you were talking about it earlier on the programme, but, you, you know... Dogs are an extraordinary bonus to our lives, but also if we train them properly, there are all sorts of things they can do that are really massively positive. So what was the thing that you came across that most surprised you? Well, the theory from some historians is that the domestication of dogs, of them actually living in our homes, becoming part of the family, didn't really happen until Victorian times. But yesterday at Stratford Literary Festival, I spent my train journey back with a medieval historian who was terrific. And he said, oh, no, there's loads of evidence that in the Middle Ages, dogs were part of the family and not only sort of buried with knights. And, you know, you quite often see those marble tombs and a dog will be, oh, yeah. um, you know, Part of it. Part mm. of it, exactly. Um, but also that they were really regarded as another another child. So I think it is. it goes back way further. I went to a... There was a Neolithic tomb on mainland Orkney that I went and explored and uh, called Queen Hill. And that had a central chamber for the humans and then chambers around for the dogs. Now, that's 5,000 years old. So it's not a modern thing that they've been part of the home. But I think that sort of the popularisation and the fashion of having dogs in your house um, definitely was rubber stamped by Queen Victoria, mm. who had yeah. an amazing array of dogs. I mean, all sorts of weird and wonderful breeds. She had Canadian Eskimo dogs, Bedouin dogs, truffle dogs. She had the first Pekingese in this country because off her subjects were going and conquering the world and, and coming back with trophies, 
I mean, not conquering it, but, you know, making the empire, coming back with trophies, and they would bring dogs because they knew she liked a dog. So Luti, the Pekingese, was taken from the Summer Palace in Peking, mm. looted from there, from the imperial family. And mm. given that dogs have been part of our lives for such a long time, it is extraordinary, isn't it, that we seem to only be just discovering their true potential in terms of um, medicine. So I was really struck by the chapter in your book about the dogs who can detect cancer, Mm -hmm. the way that we're using dogs to sniff out possibly Alzheimer's as well and there are also those connections that dogs can make with dementia sufferers and people who are on the autistic spectrum. Yeah, so a combination of things really. Um, first of all, the medical detection dogs, and those are the ones, Claire Guest is amazing, she'd be a cracking interview for you, um, but she set up this organisation understanding what dogs could smell. I mean, they've got, you know, a million times more olfactory receptors than we have and they can sense all sorts of things in us and they can sort of smell a change in our, in our makeup, And they can be trained to smell specific cancers or the latest thing they're, they're investigating at the moment is early signs of Parkinson's and that's a really hard thing to, for, for medicine to detect. Um, but separately from that, Dogs for Good is a charity I went to visit and spend time with and watch puppies being trained and they are looking at how they can train dogs to help uh, children with autism and, and really help the parents because if the parents can... Um, sort of give instructions, as it were, through the dog, they can actually create a really effective team, as it were, between child and dog and make things um, more manageable. Mm. You know, it's not going to cure anything, but Mm. it's going to make things more manageable. And the other thing is with, with people suffering from dementia, they're looking into what dogs can do in terms of if an alarm goes off, taking medication to somebody. And I, you know, and I know from my from my dad, he wouldn't he'd never shout at, at the dogs waking him up, let's say. But he'd get pretty cross with any human who tried. So um, and my parents used to when we were kids, they'd always send the dogs to wake us up. Simple things, because you have a different response to the dogs, uh, you know, providing something for you or telling you to do something than you would to a person. Why are some breeds better at learning those kind of things than others? Well, to be perfectly frank, some, some breeds are fabulously intelligent the poodle in particular massively brilliant at and and trainable and instructable the labrador is very food driven and therefore can be very easily taught things and wants to please most dogs actually do want to do a job they're quite keen to learn something learn a skill and the thing i really learned through this is the difference between exercise and stimulation and how much dogs actually want and need stimulation as well as exercise so dogs that are scent dogs they want to be sniffing things out and you can play games with them to to do this i went to a brilliant ex-police officer runs a a thing called sandy scent school and off i went to worcester cricket ground to see these dogs being trained to detect you know to find things that were hidden in the stands and they're just pets but Mm. but they really enjoy doing it and it's made a big difference and enhanced their their Mm. lives what's the thickest breed of dog well is it a greyhound no. 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 Do you know, the greyhound is the oldest domesticated dog. Well, I learned that from your book. And the only one mentioned in the King James Bible. Yeah. And Shakespeare and Chaucer. And actually, I think they they're are. Not, they're not, they're, you know, they, they are good at what they're good at. And I don't, you know, Nancy, for example, she knows when she's had enough after about seven and a half minutes. I've <laughs> had enough now. Can I go home? Can I just ask a quick question about, um, you implied, perhaps you didn't mean this, but dogs, can they get bored of a particular walk? So if you take your dog day in, day out to your local park oh. or down to the river, whatever it might be, are they actually saying, do you know what, I've done this? No, I think because they, they sniff different things and different things happen. No, I don't think they get bored of a route and actually they learn a route pretty quickly. Oh, okay. Archie definitely knew the route he wanted to go. Um and they can they and they know when they've turned for home as well but no i think it's just different things exercises obviously is running about and and socializing with other dogs that's mm. all important stimulation is go and fetch and retrieve or find something hide things find them it's that so when your dog begs for the ball to be thrown and you feel you've done it 27 times already are you being really cruel if you just say no more and hide the ball well, at some point, you probably want to say, and that's enough. Okay. 
but you know, this is all hypothetical. You could read a book to them instead. Well, <laughs> Different kind of intellectual stimulation. Yes. Are indeed. you thinking about getting a dog? Jane? I've always been thinking, but I mean, I've I just got to be completely honest. It won't fit. It's not fair on any dog at the moment, and, and that's, that, that's kind of where you are, isn't it? Well, that, exactly. And I yeah. do think that is a really responsible decision. I think a lot of people think, "Gosh, a dog would really make our lives." But hang on, what are you doing for that? dog's life mm. and that's why charities rescue charities like Battersea or the dogs trust actually make it incredibly difficult for you to well, adopt a dog. exactly yeah. and w- one of the points I, I make and one of the things i feel really strongly is anybody who thinks they can click a button today and get a dog delivered tomorrow frankly shouldn't be having one mm-hmm. because that is not how it works and if you do that you are fueling an illegal and really responsible market um and you might think you're doing a good thing, but you're not. That is not a great way. They, you, any good breeder or any good rescue centre is going to ask you a hundred questions about where you live, how you live, you know, who's looking after the dog, how often are you, you know, is it ever being left on its own? If so, what what are you going to do about that? And and often make you wait. I mean, you can wait a year for for a puppy, for example, if, from a good breeder. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Claire Balding is our guest this afternoon. Her latest book is called Isle of Dogs, My Canine Adventure Through Britain. There has been an enormous surge in the number of dog owners, hasn't there, Claire? I mean, I think from 23% to 34%. Uh, in the last, what, two, three years. So is that a pandemic thing? Uh, Yes, to some extent. And I think people working from home and realising they could have a dog, but obviously then, you know, a year and a half later, um, no longer working from home or two years later. So the challenges that come with that are fairly obvious. And as a not surprising knock-on, there are more dogs in dog rescue centres than ever before. And they are overrun. All of them. Mm, Yeah, so that's really sad, isn't it? And I think also there's a... You know, certain breeds bring with them certain challenges. You know, you'll suddenly get a spike in popularity. The Siberian Husky became very popular because of Game of Thrones. Now, a Siberian Husky needs a hell of a lot of exercise. People can't be that daft to get a huge... Really? There are loads of them, especially in London parks. And they're a pack animal, aren't they, apart from anything else? Yeah, yeah. They don't want to be on their own. No, they don't want to be on their own. They need to be running, running, running. And preferably pulling. So you you just need to... Under, um, Dachshunds, which I... They're cracking dogs. They're really great. But they are a hound. They will go off after things. They will disappear. And there are various veterinary issues that come as a sort of a bit of a red flag with some breeds. And responsible breeders will always be trying to breed the best example to the best example and therefore improve the breed. Greeders, as uh, I refer to in the book... Um, aren't bothered with that because they just 
are after the money. Yeah. What I found to be uh, extraordinary when we were hunting around for a dog was just the way that dogs are advertised on social media platforms and in these strange kind of WhatsApp groups and strange websites. And there were a couple of dogs that we saw on eBay. You know, there's all kinds of irresponsible offering going on. Uh, And this does culminate in what might be an urban myth, but my daughter found this story being retold on a social media platform um, about a woman who had bought a small Pomeranian uh, via, I think, uh, one of the larger social media places uh, in a group and uh, she paid quite a lot of money for the Pomeranian puppy and it was becoming increasingly aggressive and very, very difficult to train. So she took it to the vet and the vet said, well, the problem is it's not a Pomeranian puppy, it's a fox. No way. And it was a small fox that was being sold as a Pomeranian puppy on a dog selling group. No. (laughs) Yes. On the book of face, yes. Wow. I know what I know. Gosh, I mean, it takes a lot to tell Claire a story about dogs. Well, I'd I'd heard, and and, and I think this is true, that I'd heard that foxes were gradually domesticating themselves, so taking food out of people's hands and becoming more and more... Well, I think someone had literally just seen an opportunity to make shed loads of money out of really ill-informed people because, you know, a fox cub does look like a Pomeranian. You know, they're tiny little creatures and and it sold it to somebody. And it was a fox, I know, daft. Uh, so Alice Arnold is in the studio with us now. Too. It's two for the price of one. Hello. It's Bog Off Monday, isn't it? Mm. How are you? <laughs> Very well, thank you. We really wanted you to come in for the last, well, it's six minutes of the interview. We thought maybe the last three minutes of the interview because actually you've written the last bit of the book. Yes, it's awfully good. Do we need to, <laughs> do we need to say who Alice is? So Alice is Claire's wife, partner, wife. Yes. Richard. Yeah. Mrs. Clare. Mrs. Clare. Oh, you're no. more than that, Alice. Exactly, a lot more than that. Did I say that quickly enough? Yes, yeah. Uh, and actually, it is quite a moving chapter in the book. As Claire has already alluded to, uh, she does portray you as being the slightly kind of recalcitrant one mm. out of the two of you in terms of getting a dog and, you know, providing a new home for a dog and when that's going to happen and all of that. So tell us where you are now in your. Uh, embracing of dog ownership? Oh, no, I've always embraced the dog ownership thing. It's just that since we've had the kittens and the cats, which I I write about, um, and we don't let them out because we live on quite a busy road, we then thought, in order to have another dog, we need to move house. (laughs) Um, It's it's not a small thing, um, but we have... Am I allowed to say? We are in the process of... So we have found a property... Um, but it it won't be right for us for quite a while, and when it is right for us and we've built it, um, then, then we'll we can... get then we'll get the dog. So I'm mm. I'm not so I'm not a... reluctant yeah. about getting the dog, but we're basically building a house in order to get a dog, and yeah. I'll be in charge of that because Claire hasn't got time. Yes. No, I will have time. Right, and can I <laughs> ask then... you about losing Archie? Oh. oh yes, I'm sorry. I am I am going to. Do you know what I think? Pet grief is. Uh, People don't give it the right kind of place in the world, actually, I think. No. I think it's really, really hard when a very loved dog, cat, family pet dies. I've just been reading Kate Botley's book, actually, and she talks about that because she talks about grief a lot. But And then the place of, that she was about to lose her dog. And actually, the hardest thing I found about it was the, the, um, the planning of it, that you know when it's going to happen. If it's an old animal, you know you're going to have it put to sleep. I found that unbearable because I want things to die naturally and I know it's the kindest thing to do. I know it is, but we couldn't get the vet that Archie loved. He he adored going to the vet. I know not many dogs do, but Archie did and he loved the vet, Bessie. And so it had to be her and she couldn't do it till the Monday and Claire, I made Claire make the phone call, so she did that on the Thursday. So we had three full days of going, right, he's got six more meals, he's got five more meals. That was awful. And that was unbearable. And we kept crying and he didn't know why we were crying. No, that was truly awful. That was sort of, you know, three of the worst days of my life because you knew it was happening mm. and and I and I couldn't I couldn't bear that but it was the right time I mean I knew we were doing the right thing it was just mm. it was just those days were terrible so do both of you now have in your mind's eye the kind of image of what a new dog might look like well it's sort of not it's the the breed specifics are that it mustn't shed hair 
and that's and that's Frances, you know, um, needs because um, she has asthma and an allergic reaction to to dog hair. So that limits it in terms of breed type. But I, but I, you know, I'm in, massively in touch with the Dogs Trust now, so I get <laughs> constant communication from them on what may or may not be. And and we are a couple of years off this happening because it it can't happen until we're settled and. No ready so um, but, but, but you quite like you like toast i did you? like toast who's norfolk, norfolk terrier i think mm. that just and the character of the dog is so much more yeah. important than what it looks like really as long as it doesn't shed but yeah. it just needs to be i quite like a miniature schnauzer though because character wise they're they're wonderfully wise and yet grumpy and how small <laughs> is a miniature schnauzer about the same size as a tibetan terrier actually okay. they're, they're pretty sturdy <laughs> that might not narrow it down for uh, oh, some people okay yeah. uh, sort of cocker spaniel size medium size you okay. can pick them up but but equally, they can go on a decent walk. Do you think there's a big difference between people who like big dogs and people who like small dogs? I don't know. I'm not sure I've considered that. Um, I think having space is an important thing. For I big think dogs. as people that probably are going to have the dog sleeping on our bed, yeah, a really big dog is probably not the thing. Although I did speak to somebody just the other day who's um, Newfoundland sleeps on the bed. Ooh. That's a big dog. That's no. a big bed. See, yeah, big bed. To... That is a big bed. Yeah, I wouldn't get any sleep at all if we had a thing like that on the bed. No, OK. Yeah. Um, I do love the point that you make at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book just about the difference between going for a walk with a dog and without a dog. And I don't think you can go for a walk without a dog. Well, as the presenter of a long-running walking programme on Radio 4, obviously I do think you can go for a walk without a dog, mm. but just generally out of the front door, I do, you know, I have to really make myself go now. I don't. Unless oh. I'm going with a friend who's got dogs. Then you, it, then I'll do it. But I don't go on my own for a walk. No. Why would you? Yeah, I agree. I don't I know. I, I don't, don't see agree. the point. Isle of Dogs is out now, and it is a stonking Christmas present, isn't it? just works yes it's lovely it's a lovely book about well it's also i think perhaps more revealing about her than she realizes do you think i don't know in what way well just when she talks at the very very beginning about how close she was to her family pet um i don't know i think perhaps we all and you know, i had a dog growing up but i don't remember don't remember thinking i was a dog no, but I think Claire's family life was dominated by the animals, wasn't animals, it? Animals, that was her yeah. first book, wasn't it? Which was a very, very clever uh, turnaround of Gerald Durrell's mm. My Family and Other Animals. So it was My Animals and Other Family. Yeah, very clever. And I remember uh, one of her great stories is about, I think they had a tiny pony that was gifted to them by the Queen Mother who yeah. kind of lived in the kitchen. I mean, it's just, right. I just did a burp there. I think that's mainly because the Queen Mother never gave us anything and I was always just a little bit upset. <laughs> so I've done a comm- special commemorative birth. A birth for the Queen Mother. Yeah. God rest her soul. Uh, so, look, uh, <laughs> we do what we sound like. We've drunk that wine. <laughs> we do. It's gone well, a bit odd. The Queen Mother on a good day would be several gin and quantros down by now. What was her bevy that it she used to have? It was a Dubonnet. Dubonnet and... And was it a Dubonnet and gin? Gin and Dubonnet, I think it, I think it Which was. Which just is like... And that was before lunch. That was like a stiffener before yeah, lunch. That's rocket fuel. Do you know what, that's the kind of drink that when you first, uh, you know, gain access to some kind of a drinks cabinet or trolley, Anywhere in somebody else's house yeah, or your parents' it. house, you make yourself a Dubonnet yeah. and gin, and about half an hour later, you're sick. A cat candied <laughs> cocktail, yeah. Um, anyway, it's not caught on, has it, as a drink? Uh, no, it hasn't, but it didn't do her any harm. She was 190 when she died. No, she was 101, wasn't she? I think she was 101, 102. You're our royal correspondent. I do my best, I really do, which is really why I do deserve a small pony. And if they're listening, please send one. I'll provide my address. Right, dear Jane, this is from Nicole, listening to you the other day, talking about bagels. I've just never understood the allure of them. They're too doughy and dense. Also, when you compare them to a croissant or a roll, you don't get as much for your money because of the hole in the middle. What is the appeal? OK, I just, I can't begin to describe the pleasure I get from bagels. I take your point about the hole. I would say they're quite moderately priced. They're 45 pence each at my local Sainsbury's. I don't think that's a lot of money for the amount of pleasure they provide. Um, and actually, they take ages to eat. What has gone on last <laughs> week? And they wouldn't be, bizarrely, they wouldn't be as good if they didn't have a hole in the middle. Right, I, I feel... Um, Some physicist will be able to explain that. 
I feel underprepared to try and either join in this conversation or cut it short, listener. But don't worry, uh, I will get um, I'll get my oomph back by tomorrow, and uh, all will be well in the world. It's just worth saying the clocks have gone back. I hate that expression. I still don't know why we do it. It does mean it's very dark and gloomy here. I hope it's better where you are right now. We're heading into what may be a challenging winter. Yes, I'm sure it will be, but I really like the clocks changing. I like the I like Roman in the gloaming very much. <laughs> mm. uh, because apart from anything else, it means I can have a very misty morning swim. Oh, God, I can't believe you're still doing that. How cold is it at the moment? <laughs> but it's not because it's heated pool. It's oh. a heated Lido. I'm not in the reservoir anymore. Well, Somebody, actually, can I just say yeah. a huge thank you to Lynn on uh, Twitter, who sent me a, just the most fantastic piss take of cold water swimmers. I'll dig it out, actually, and I'll read it to you because you'll laugh. It's about, it's a kind of, uh, it's a cartoon of a journalist writing a piece about, about going cold water swimming. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to do it justice, actually. So, Lynn, I'll save that for tomorrow because it was, it was spot on. And yet still I do it. Well, I was going to guess. And you, but you, you know yourself, and that's one of the most darling things about you. Uh, but also, I should say, it's been three or four weeks now since the Times last did a feature on cold water swimming, so it must be time. <laughs> Along with that, how to beat the midlife, whatever it might be. How to stay fit in middle age. That'll Welcome, be- Peter B. <laughs> I love her pieces. I always read them. Oh, so do I. That's a secret. <laughs> right. Have a have a mildly good evening. Or I'm off to eat some nuts and some oily fish, Jane, and yes. do some squats and have a kip. Just an egg white omelette for me. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We missed the modesty class. <laughs> our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man, it's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.